Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, Professor and Chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. Today, I'm very happy to bring you Dr. Mordecai Duvdevani. He is the Associate Professor of Urology, the current Secretary General of the Israeli Urological Association, the Director of Endourology and Lithotripsy, and the Fellowship Director at the Hadassah Ein Kerem University Hospital and the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, Dr. Duvdevani, welcome, and thank you very, very much for lending your time today. We appreciate it very much. Thank you very much for inviting me, and it's, I'm very happy to be here with you today. Very good. So today, um, I, I thought we would talk uh, about uh, ureteroscopy and um, even overall the topic of upper tract urothelial carcinoma, and maybe talk about some of the new developments. Uh, this is one disease that we know of that lacks a lot of um, randomized trials. It lacks a lot of uh, uniformity in its uh, treatment and even diagnosis. Uh, and um, I think we're all aching for a little bit of uniformity in this disease. And so I guess the first thing uh, just to touch on would be um, stage and accuracy of intraoperative endoscopy biopsy. And what we've relied upon traditionally is grade as a surrogate for stage. I just wanted to get your thoughts and opinions of what we currently have for intraoperative uh, assessment and intraoperative sampling of these tumors. First, is it, it is important to remember that upper tract ureteral cancer is an uncommon cancer that accounts for only up to 5 to 10% of ureteral cancer. Although the similarities to bladder TCC, this kind of TCC differs in, in several aspects like anatomical, biological, and molecular. However, the However, most of our protocols rely on our experience with bladder TCC. Tumor stage is the most significant factor dictating treatment and prognosis, but technically it is currently almost impossible to get deep biopsy from the upper urinary tract during ureteroscopy. The EAU guidelines in 2018 recommended that endoscopic ablation be considered in low-risk cancers, whereas radical nephroureterectomy is the first option in a case of organ-confined high-grade disease. And the tumor classification based on pathological grade and stage is a key point of treatment selection. Clinically, it is difficult to de determine tumor stage in uh, upper tract a ureteral cancer, and thus risk stratification of low and high risk tumor is useful for identifying patients who are more suitable for a kidney sparing surgery than for radical nephrectomy. And to define the low risk and high risk uh, patient, we have to get a, a, the cytological and histological grades of the tumor cells and and this is a very, uh, and most essential factors. Although the tumor size and multifocality is also should be taken into consideration. 
So uh, in summary, tumor grade was found to be a good predictor for tumor stage, and it is the most significant predictor of both overall survival and cancer-specific survival, regardless of uh, treatment methods. Do you feel uh, several years ago that the grading system changed from, uh, it actually went from four grades down to three grades, and now we currently only have two grades. Do you feel that that's made a significant impact in increasing the rate of nephroureterectomy because pathologists will gravitate more towards reading these high grade? Yes, uh, I feel the same that we, we get more high-grade tumors in pathology examinations. But on the other hand, when you get a low grade, you feel more confidence to go ahead with a, a kidney sparing surgery. I, I agree. I, I think uh, in my lifetime, in the last 30 years of, of doing this, we've, uh, I think, gravitated more towards the higher grade tumors. Unfortunately, I think moving to two grading systems was a was a potential mistake for the patients. But uh, so what is, is there a tumor size limitation uh, for endoscopic management of these tumors? You know, uh, the, the guidelines, uh, especially the EU guidelines, lim limits the size of tumor to two centimeters to become a low risk patient. So uh, actually, we, we have to recommend a, a kidney sparing surgery for patients with tumor uh, smaller than two centimeters. However, this reminds me when I started to treat these patients more than a decade ago, I, I had a patient coming to me with a large tumor in her kidney. And uh, during these days, the, the recommendations were even more strict. So I recommended nephroureterectomy. I did a regular follow-up and then she came back with a tumor in her solitary kidney. Then we insisted to keep her kidney and we did another ablation and another ablation and uh, we, we did all we could to keep her solitary kidney. This made me to come into the conclusion that if we do everything we can to keep a solitary kidney, why not to try it when when the patient has two kidneys? Anyway, we, we need to do that without to compromise the oncological outcomes, but we need to do every effort. So I, I think that tumor size is, it's true that it is a recommendation in the EAU guidelines and other uh, recommendations, but I think it, it will be changed. So I know you do a lot of, uh, uh, you like technology. I know you like to have a lot of advancements um, and um, improvements in, in technology. What what are the advancements we've encountered over the last several years and looking forward uh, to the future uh, as far as scopes, uh, vision, flexibility, diameter, uh, and then maybe some ablative options, uh, lasers, the long pulse, the Moses, the thulium that we now have. Uh, what what are we looking at now as far as um, a typical technological uh, procedure of of evaluating and treating these tumors? So during the last three decades, we have seen a great improvement in technology and clinical applications of, of many minimally invasive procedures in the urological fields. These include both rigid and flexible scopes. Scopes outer diameter are getting smaller. Flexible, uh, flexibles are getting more and more effective with a greater flexibility. And the vision is getting much better. 
especially now when we are using more and more digital flexible ureteroscopes. And even more recently, we, we see a, a single used uh, scopes. With the current technology, we can see much better and identify more easily suspected tumors in the upper tract. Now I'm using regularly, regularly uh, digital scopes, and I remember the days that I was not sure if there is a tumor or not inside the collecting system. When I started to use these scopes, I had a, the opposite problem. So I saw many lesions that are actually normal, but I saw them so clearly that I was not sure that I'm looking on a normal tissue or not. Um, but when you are getting used to these scopes, you can be very, very accurate in visualiz visualizations of a tumor. There are other technologies that are getting in our fields that we all uh, heard about them, like the narrowband imaging and the photodynamic diagnosis and confocal laser endomicroscopy. But these are not in a common practice yet. And they, they uh, I don't think it has been explored for digital ureteroscopes. So making the comparison comparison to regular white light fiber optic scopes, it is sub suboptimal. Another aspect, as you mentioned, uh, are technological improvements with uh, also have a great implications on, on our ability to treat upper tract tumor endoscopi endoscopically is the ablative options technology the common uh, low power holmium laser uh, with a thin fiber is is still a good option to resect an ablate tumor but uh, its tissue penetration is relative low about one millimeter from the fiber tip uh, in contrast the ndyag laser has a deeper penetra penetration but should be used very carefully not to perforate the collecting system Currently, we, we see uh, other uh, laser modulations like a, a long pulse laser that penetrates the tissue uh, more deeply and is better in coagulation and resection of bigger tumors. We, we all know the MOSES technology, which has uh, similar advantages. And currently, the emerging MOSES II modulation is also very promising. I'm not familiar, very familiar with Tulium, but uh, I know that Tulium is also have a, a good capabilities of ablating and, and uh, uh, hemostasis. And I think the, the future is very promising in this field. Yeah, we've used the Thulium uh, a fair amount. We've had it now for uh, quite a while when it first came out. So it's, I think it's a very uh, nice soft tissue. Uh, application and uh, if people have the opportunity for that then I would recommend it. So if we can't do um, ureteroscopic ablation or uh, if it's uh, uh, not obtainable, if the patient has an ileal conduit and getting that retrograde access is difficult or for other reasons, uh, are you utilizing percutaneous surgery for these? Is there an, an issue with with um, track seating and, and what size uh, sheath do you use for these? Yes, I'm using percutaneous, the, the percutaneous option infrequently. And 
actually it can be considered for low risk uh, tumors in the renal pelvis or in the lower calyx that they are inaccessible or difficult to, to reach and treat by flexible ureteroscope. Uh, these, this option, however, is less common because of the improvements of flexible scopes that, that we have just mentioned. And as you said, concern of tract seeding. A large systemic review that uh, I found in the literature of uh, uh, ureteroscopy and percutaneous management of upper tract TCC that was published in BJU International several years ago, uh, it was found that cancer-specific uh, survival for low-grade disease was very high, was 98% in either approach. But there was a marked difference in recurrence rate between ureteroscopic and the percutaneous approach. Uh, for low-grade disease, ureteroscopy resulted in 52% recurrence rate compared to only 23% of percutaneous option. The complication, however, observed between these two groups was also different in ureteroscopy, 14% of complication, mainly 11% of them strictures. And in the percutaneous option, we, they, they uh, published 27% of complications, mainly 17% blood transfusion, 2% renal failure, 1% risk of emergency nephrectomy or, or renal artery embolization for hemorrhage. The risk for tract seeding was low as 0.3%. This is very surprising. Uh, in comparison, there is a concern that ureteroscopy may offer an increased risk for bladder seeding and recurrence for following ureteroscopy for upper tract TCC of up to 40%. We know that not for, from ureteroscopy, but from a nephro-ureterectomy. But this is also a concern for ureteroscopy. Um, so we have a, a technique that is more effective, can uh, reduce the recurrence rate, but is more aggressive. Uh, the complications is much higher. Uh, to resolve this, uh, I can tell you that during the last several years, instead of standard PCNL, I'm doing ultra mini PCNL with a small tract of 14 French. With my experience, and with what we currently know, the risk for the risk of bleeding is extremely low. Uh, when I'm treating patients, uh, their folic catheter is uh, clear like a, like water, and the, visi the visibility is much better. Also, the hospital stay is shorter between uh, one night to not staying at the hospital at all. Uh, These make the, the treatment of this treatment option much more viable in these cases. Very good. That's uh, good, to, good to know the um, uh, decrease in the size of the tract, but uh, obviously you would use a laser in that in that sense. There's, there's no resectoscope or anything like that. You would just use a laser. I'm using laser. Yes, I'm using laser and long pulse. Excellent. Great information. So you end up uh, doing these procedures. Um, you determine that the patient might be a candidate for some type of chemo or immunotherapy. Uh, just talk a little bit about that, um, Dr. Dovdevani, about your your um, 
your algorithms for chemo and immunotherapy, what do you use and how you, uh, how you do it? You know, this is also debatable. We also rely on our experience from uh, blood TCC. We can uh, have the installation uh, by anterograde or retrograde manner installation. We can use BCG or mitomycin C. In the literature, there was not a, any difference found between anti-grade or retrograde installation. However, in both technique, there is a can be both can be dangerous due to possible ureteric obstruction and PLO venous influx of 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 the material during installation. Some people that say that you can insert a stent and by expecting reflux you can in, in, uh, put uh, the drug in, inside the bladder and hope that it will reach the kidney. However, this is not a reliable option because you cannot, uh, uh, you, you cannot be sure that the drug will reach the renal pelvis and you don't know really how much of the drug is reaching there. Uh, in attempt to improve the drug delivery in the upper tract, uh, mitomycin uh, uh, gel, a mitomycin containing reverse thermal gel was developed. Uh, this was uh, uh, introduced in the Olympus trial as an open label single arm phase three trial that included patients with low grade upper tract ureteral cancer. This drug showed a complete response rate of 59%. However, uh, the high rate of ureteric stenosis, ureteric stenosis of 44% was also reported. And the median follow-up was rather short, like 11 months. Also, there was no data comparing gel mito, uh, the, uh, this gel with mitomycin C, with laser ablation alone. So the efficacy and the value of this treatment is still debatable, I think. We've had uh, a little bit of experience with uh, the mitomycin gel, and uh, in our small experience, it's been uh, quite effective. But again, uh, um, we've had a, a ureteral stricture, and uh, we'll see. I think, uh, as you mentioned, time will tell, and, and we need more experience with it. So to, I think, conclude um, uh, this uh, discussion, how do you follow these patients, uh, either with uh, imaging or with procedural uh, follow-up? Again, when you have a patient that was treated by bladder tumor, you follow him uh, with a cystoscopy that you can do in your clinic. Same like cystoscopy in upper tract is ureteroscopy. Ureteroscopy, there are physicians that are doing that in their clinic. I, I read about it, but for us, it's very difficult. And we are doing that in the operating room under general anesthesia. So I take the follow-up strategies from our experience with bladder TCC and uh, we rely on that. In my practice, I repeat ureteroscopy six weeks after the uh, initial ablation, and then three months, three months, and then six months, six months, and then annually. I'm also asking uh, for a CT scan and urine cytology in six months and every year, at least for five years. I recommend patient to be followed every year, more than five years as well, but at least for five years.
And when, when we find re recurrence, uh, of course, we go back to the beginning of the protocol. Right. So anytime you get a recurrence, you start off the same uh, at, at square one. Well, very good. Uh, Dr. Dubdevani, I want to thank you for your time and your insight. has uh, shed a lot of information for this interesting disease uh, that we don't know a lot about. And so on behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to thank you very much for your participation. And we look forward to uh, seeing you at uh, meetings in the future. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me.